0: Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. It's amazing to be here. Um, I missed out last week, but we kicked off the Colossian series. And before I jump into a new way, uh, we have some newly married people in the midst. Etienne and Taylor Falscher. Look at that. And uh, they let anyone get married these days, (laughs) But, but when I arrived at this church five and a half years ago, there were two young dudes doing internship at the church. Basically what that meant was for a year they carried the scaffolding around, they packed out the chairs, cleaned the stage, all that stuff basically at that time, that's what it meant. And one of them was leading worship tonight. He's the good-looking dude under the cap this side, Stewie, and his mate, Etz, and they're still sitting together. Obviously, it was a good year relationally, um, but, um, but, but um, and, and amazing to see you guys. Etz and, and Taylor, just incredibly proud of you guys. Um, you've added such life to this story, and you continue to do that, and we love seeing what God is doing in these amazing stories. As men and women are finding husbands and wives in the church, just saying. It's a good marketing point for the church. And, and there are more miracles happening in midst. There's more things happening. I'm just saying. D- two and a half years ago, about that, a young man pitched up here. He had a few things going on. A couple of scarves, pink shirts, and cardigans. Lots of cardigans. And um, we're missing his cardigans, but he pushed up, and God's done an amazing thing in his life as when he arrived here, there was years and years of depression and medication and all sorts of stuff for that, and God has done an incredible miracle. And then there's a lady who's been here for a number of years, and she came here out of lots of things, previously engaged to a Muslim man, previously many things, and yet God has done an amazing thing, and Michael and Crystal are engaged. And um, we had the privilege of going away uh, as the elders this last three days, a Thursday, not Friday, Saturday. And we started to talk about some of these stories. We spoke about your stories. And um, there's a scripture where David's praying to God and he's on the heart of his kingdom. And God's done amazing things in life. And he says, who am I, sovereign Lord? And who is my family that you have brought us this far? And we started to speak about our lives, just the people around the table, how far we've come. We spoke about those crazy 19-year-old days when people were crazy, and we started to tell stories not in a way of celebrating those, but in celebrating what God has done. And then we started to speak about lives like this. We got the privilege of doing life together, the privilege of being a part of stories like this. And we're so incredibly, incredibly proud of you guys and excited for what God has. And for me, this hall is an interesting thing. There are Little places in the hallway. I remember what God has done. There's a man named Fred who two-thirds of the way back on the left, they gave his life on a Sunday morning. I'll never forget. A man named Brenton this morning stood with his family, and the Spirit of God engaged him. There's stories of God's grace that continue to pour out. Why? Because Jesus brings life. I love the name of Jesus. I unapologetically love the name of Jesus. I love names. Names are important. My boys, all their names mean amazing things to me. There are truths, and not just what their names mean, but what they mean to me. That What God did when those names, and there's names in, the, in my life and world that I remember when those names are mentioned, there's joy that comes to my heart. I think of things. When the name Wayne comes to mind, I think of a beautiful man, Wayne Barthas, whose heart is bigger than him, and he keeps pouring and giving it away. When I think of the name Fred, I think of the grace of God engaging a man who didn't want anything to do with God. There's just these names. When I think of Jesus. Think of the dead coming to life. I think of the hopeless who have no hope, finding hope and life in a future. When I think of Jesus, I believe anything is possible every time. And this book we're jumping into, this book of Colossians and the story of a new way as we engaged the scripture last week, starts out with a man writing a letter to a people he's never met personally, but his friend Epaphras has heard the gospel, they've partened the gospel, and Epaphras has gone, and he's gone on a journey, and he's planted a church, he's preached the gospel, and a church has come up in a place called Colossae. And this guy is sitting, his name's Paul, he's been on an incredible journey of grace and transformation himself. He's sitting in prison, and going to the prison guards, hey, can I have some paper and pen, I need to write a letter, And they're going, to who? No, to people in Colossae. Are they your mates? No. Are they family? No. I'm just writing to them, encourage them, say, keep going, keep going strong. Why? Because he is so captivated by this man, Jesus. I imagine him sitting in his prison cell, dreaming about the gospel. Unaware, almost, of his circumstances. Unaware that he's in chains. Unaware that he's next to criminals. Unaware that it's unjust that he's there. Unaware of all that stuff because he's so aware of Jesus. And as he pens these four chapters in Colossians, he's penning down four chapters of pure essence, the gospel. It's like blood that begins to flow in our veins. It is Jesus coming alive in our hearts. And I pray as we engage this, four chapters I ask if you don't normally dive into the word and mind the word and look for Jesus yourself I want to tell you you can it's not the privilege of a preacher man it's not the privilege of a really spiritual person it's the privilege of every person that Jesus has pulled out darkness into light it's their privilege and it's for you and me and he's calling us at this time to jump into his word. Colossians is about the preeminence, the power, the, the priority, and the perfection and the greatness of Jesus Christ. It's all it's about. And say, so, oh, we speak about Jesus all the time. Yes, and we will continue to, and I will preach Jesus until I go into the ground one day. Because there is no other name that brings freedom and life like the name of Jesus. It's the gospel. I'm going to pray a prayer. I've prayed every time we preach this series, and I'm going to pray it every time while we preach this series. I pray, Spirit of God, show us Jesus. Pray as we read the Word of God and we come under the Word of God and we read this book like no other, I pray, Spirit of God, ignite passion inside of us. I pray that Christian philosophies and policies would fall away and would be gripped again by the person the wonder of the person of Jesus Christ at this time. Captivate us, I pray, King of kings, Spirit of God at this time. Amen. And every time this man, Paul, over his ministry and over his years, he was probably in jail between five to six years. He kind of kept on going in and out, between being whipped and beaten and thrown off boats and stranded at sea and a whole bunch of other really amazing stuff. Who's in for that? Come on. And this guy is sitting in jail, he's writing this book, and he's captivated, and he he hears of some things going in Colossians, he says there's some cultural pressures, there's some cultural challenges coming to these precious people who've received the gospel. And so he writes, and in verse 1 to about 11, he's just encouraging them, he tells them about his journey, he says, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, doesn't tell them all the mess, he just tells them what Jesus has done. And then he continues, says, your faith, I've heard of your faith, I've heard of the gospel advancing, I've heard of what God's doing with you, he encourages them from prison. Who's got a good encouraging letter from prison lately? Just your prison pen pal phoned, wrote, and said, hey, you're doing so well. No one. Probably not going to happen. Just, oh, so, well, it will when God gets a hold of people, but he's got a hold of this man, Paul, and he writes this lesson because he's heard, he's heard on the wind that these people who worship Jesus now, but they previously worshiped the Greek gods of, of uh, all, what are those guys? What were their names? Give me some of their names. Apollo, Apollo and all those dudes. And, and uh, who's the one of love? What's the? Aphrodite. All of them. They, they worship, and there's this pressure coming. say, well, why don't you just worship Jesus as a part of that crew, you know? Like the Avengers. Just add him to the pack. He says, no, 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 no. Jesus doesn't need any help. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus and the grace of God alone that transforms. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. And then he hears there's another pressure, and there's a pressure for them to conform to the laws, the Torah, and the laws that come. He says, guys, 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 I did that for so long. I was the best at it. I nailed all 613 laws. I added my own ones. I fulfilled those as well. I was the best. It brought no life and no freedom, but I saw Jesus. And he writes from his prison and says, it's only Jesus. And so we spoke last week, and, and I mentioned in the morning that the gospel is not something we needed on the day we encountered Jesus. Preach the gospel on Christmas, Mark. No, I need the gospel every day, every hour, every situation, every reality that faces my life. I need the gospel. I need Jesus and a revelation of Jesus so deep down because I keep trying to put anchors on this earth, but I have to be anchored in heaven, and it's only the presence and the revelation of Jesus that does that. And John Piper puts it this way. He says, put ballast in the belly of your boat so that when the waves crash against your life, you will not capsize. And ballast is this weight that you put into boats. It's either stones, it's water, it's whatever. You pump it into certain areas of the boat. So it stabilizes the boat when the winds and the waves come. Because the winds and the waves will come. That's called life on earth. Trouble will come. But we have Jesus. And last week we spoke about Jesus and the identity he starts with. I want to speak tonight about in a new way, there's a new growth strategy that Jesus has for us. A new growth strategy. See, I live in a home of three boys. Growth is a big thing. Growth is the thing you mark on walls, how big they're getting, and it's on toes. My boy went into the doctor's room the other day, and before the doctor even called him to the measuring tape, he's up against the wall, he says, come doc, I've grown. Just, it's a big thing in their lives. It's a big thing, particularly in my oldest boy's life, because he's not the biggest kid in the world. He's got, he's vertically challenged like his pops was at that time. We know this because we moved from Durban, and Afrikaans wasn't really a thing. It's not really a thing in Durban, just letting you know, if you didn't know that. And my boy came home one day from school and asked his mom in the car, said, Mom, what's a dwergie?" Because with this vertical challenge, he's been called the dwarf, and, he, and mom told him, and he laughed, but in his world, growth is a big thing. He's on a journey to grow, so on holidays, he's doing push-ups. It's not going to help him grow, but he might get stronger. He, he's eating his vegetables, even when he hates vegetables. Why? Because there's an intentional journey of growth. I've been on my own intentional journeys of growth. This is where Gabe gets excited. Don't know the story. But, uh, but for most of my life, I prayed. I said, Lord, give me a redhead friend. No, that wasn't the prayer I prayed. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I prayed, Lord, make me six foot. Make me six foot one day. I don't care how you do it. Make me six foot. And when I was 18, all of a sudden I grew nine, ten inches. That's a big thing in a guy's life. And then you become a little bandy and you're trying to play a stupid sport called rugby when you're just not big enough. So you do something intentionally to get bigger. To go on a growth thing, it looked like something called creatine, and lots of it. Although the only problem is it didn't really make you stronger. It just made you bigger, and your muscles got puffy, and you recovered a little quicker. And there's a photo in Glenridge Church when I left the marketplace and went into full-time ministry. They put it up the day that I got there. It was a photo of a 20-year-old, 19-year-old Mark von and walking into church in a vest, showing off his creatine muscles <laughs> at the church. Why? Because I was on an intentional journey of growth. So I want to challenge us tonight as we read the Scripture. I want to say that there is a spiritual growth journey that you are called to intentionally go on to. A spiritual growth journey that the apostle is concerned. He thinks there's some things coming, but he's saying there's a growth journey, church. You need to go on. And I'm telling you, it's not by fighting those things. It's by fixing your eyes on Jesus and allowing Jesus to do things inside of you that you can't do on your own. It's called an intentional growth journey. I want to read from Colossians 1 verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. Well, how do you do that? Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have endurance and patience and giving... Joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. See, it's an interesting question. What does spiritual growth look like? What what does it look like? How do you measure it? What are the scales? What are the markers? What is spiritual growth? Because we read all the scriptures. We read Ephesians. We read Philippians. There's this call to maturity. this call to growth. And I'm telling you, it's not just a de facto time will do it. There's an intentionality that has to come into the believers of Jesus Christ in our discipleship journey of Jesus that he's calling us to grow. He's challenging us and there's no neutral gear in the gospel, but the heart of spiritual growth is learning how God wants us to live in a way that pleases him. And there's a learning journey in that. There's a moment of encounter, the King of Kings, where he washes my sins away and he qualifies me immediately. But Paul is saying from prison, he's encouraging the church. He's saying, forget all that other stuff. Learn how to please the living God. Go on a journey of growth to pleasing Him. Spiritual growth means growing to know how God wants us to live so that we seek to please Him in all things. Not just the ones we think God wants us to please Him, in all things. In the way, I do my work for the boss, oh no, but that's Monday to Friday, Church is on a Sunday, no in all things, learning how to please him. And when we go on that journey, you know what happens? The church becomes strong. The kingdom of God advances. The God gets all the glory. So point number one is a simple one: know to grow, No to grow. And I'm going to read from verse 9 again. For this reason, since the day we've heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge, the knowledge of his will, through the wisdom and understanding of the Spirit. Paul says, yes, growth will come with knowledge, but not just knowledge like Jesus' trivial pursuits. I know all the things about Jesus. No, there are lots of people who know lots of things about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. He says, I want you to take you on a journey of growing in wisdom, not just worldly knowledge, but wisdom of God. I want to take you on that journey. I want you to understand that there's this really big, really real wisdom journey, and I want you to grow in that. Maybe you say, well, I wasn't born with wisdom. I didn't have a dad who taught me wisdom. No, wisdom is this understanding. It's in, in the context of the word, it's the Hebrew context behind wisdom is actually skill. And, and, What you see in the word when Moses is choosing men to build the tabernacle, to come get involved in the building of the temple, he goes and he chooses wise men. The translation of that is skillful men. And there's a skill, a wisdom that we are called to grow in, in our ability to navigate life. It's almost the skill to do life in a way that pleases God, but it's not a practical, pragmatic skill. It is a growing in knowledge and understanding that the Holy Spirit gives that we understand how to do life. Spiritual wisdom requires learning about God and how He wants us to live so that our lives will not be ruined by things like sin, by things like cycles of chaos in our life, by things like ex- external realities that come to put pressure and lies into our worlds and we take them in. No, it's an ability to navigate those storms, to hold on to Jesus, to take the Word of God and put it deep, deep down like ballast for our lives and navigate that life. We, we, on average, we're quite a young crowd tonight. Which means there's lots of decisions ahead. Decisions that have implications. Decisions that have implications not just for yourself. They have implications for future children and spouses and family and employees. Maybe you'll be a business owner and you'll run a business with thousands of employees. There's a wisdom required to navigate that life. A godly wisdom that starts with knowing God. Secondly, there's a growth in spiritual understanding. And by spiritual understanding, we mean this understanding that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. That God reveals to us about his word, about walking in relational reality with the King of Kings. It doesn't just happen by learning Christian principles. Oh, Mark is like, are we going to do marriage? And what are we going to do? We've watched other Christian couples. They do this. They do marriage Monday. They pray on a Tuesday. They, they um, have communion on a Wednesday. They have Shabbat on a Friday. And if we just do those things, we'll have their marriage. No, you won't. Not if there's no revelation of God behind it. Not if there's no relational reality with the king of kings behind it. Not if there's no Holy Spirit bringing the words of God alive inside your heart and my heart. There's a growing in knowledge of God that can only come through a relationship with God. It's not just a feeling. We talk about sometimes we we make Christian encounters with God just as, oh, it felt so good. No rubbish. My knowledge is being transformed. My knowledge of God as I encounter him and spend time in his presence. And there's this ability to navigate life that comes with growing in understanding and growing in knowledge and understanding, growing in wisdom. It's like a ship that's navigating a fog, and I've never captained a ship, but I would imagine the captain's there behind his big steering wheel thing. I don't know. Maybe he's got one of those. I don't know. And, and he's got a radar, and that's just in a fog. You've got nothing else. You've just got the radar. But apparently, I was talking to someone else, they also stick a guy right on the front of the ship, and he looks, and he's looking, because sometimes there are things that are missed on a radar that can be shown up by, and you need these multi-navigational systems. And Paul's sitting in prison, he's saying, church, I love you, and I love Jesus, and I love what the gospel's done in life. But you've got to grow in wisdom and understanding and knowledge of the living God if you're going to navigate these storms and you're going to live a life where he is pleased. Ultimately, it's not about ticking boxes. So many Christians live this small reality of Christianity that if I just hold on and I just tick all the boxes, I'll get to heaven. No, there's an inheritance now. We're going to talk about that. And secondly, simple points tonight, walk it out. Walk worthy of the calling you've received. Grow to walk in a manner of the Lord that that seeks Him in all things. I've got three boys. I am on a many-year investment into their lives. And it's not... The exam marks that come at the end of the terms, it's not the test results, it's not the sports teams they play that one day will please me the most. You know what day I'm looking forward to? I've lied to my kids, i told them they can only get married at 47. <laughs> I'll change that one day maybe. But the day they'll please me most is the day they arrive home and there's a girl in the passenger seat of their car and they get out, walk around, open the door and treat her like a queen. That'll be the day that they please me. The day that they honor their mom when everyone else is dishonoring their moms. The day that they choose to worship Jesus for themselves with courage and conviction because revelation has come to their souls. Those are the days that my boys will please me. But I'm telling you, there's a father in heaven who's looking to your life and my life. He's saying, I want you to live and walk in a way that pleases me. Ephesians tells us, and find out what pleases the Lord. Well, we get told in Colossians what some of those things are. He's sitting there in prison, guys. Please understand this. I think it's so big in a world where we moan quickly, in a world where you can have a martyr on Facebook so quickly, in where everything falls apart. No, actually nothing's really fallen apart. A guy' sitting in prison encouraging the church. Let's get some perspective at these times. Number one, what does it mean to do this walk? Well, bearing fruit in every good work. And, and fruit is what God accomplishes accomplishes in our lives when we depend on Him. That's what the Bible uses as a language to understand, to give us imagery, and the images of a tree where Jesus is the trunk, He is the source, He is the root system, He is the life, He is the everything. We're just the branches. And there's fruits at the end of the branch. We get so stoked, look at my fruit, look at my fruit. It's not your fruit, you're just a branch on a glorious tree called Jesus. He says, but I want fruit. I want fruit on your life. I, to walk worthy of God, and to walk in a way that pleases Him, there's the call to bear fruit. So we sometimes, if we want to go on an intentional journey, you've got to look at it. Is this thing working? And actually, am I building any strength here? Or am I just building puffy muscle that makes no difference? It's a reality. He wants to build strength. He wants to call us to be people who bear fruit in our areas, not just the areas, oh, I'm I'm doing well at church. No, no, in every area of life is there more and more fruit evidence in life. And sometimes you only see it when you look back. We got to sit at a dinner table again, seven seven guys on the Thursday night, just looking back at the chaos of some of the guys' lives and my life. And then we've got to talk about some of the fruit, and it is glorious. Say, God, you have brought us so far. You know what we should do? We should get more humble. We should just be a branch who realizes we're just branches. And I promise you, we'll see fruit come. And then it carries on. It says, well, you want to be that, live that life, being strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Say endurance. And patience. They're not celebrated in our world. Mug and bean have pulled in the area, and it's a drive through Mug and bean. It's like a... I have this muffin and this. I don't even have to get in my car. I can get a muffin and a coffee and I'm gone. And you can go to any food store and they'll give you a fast food. And the problem is we want a fast food gospel. And the apostle writes, I'm sitting in prison telling you need strength for endurance and patience. Why? Because endurance and patience are important in you living a life that pleases him. Let me tell you how they work. They work like two punches Endurance, the ability to stand, the ability to go distance. We've got some endurance runners here training for marathons. They have to train. They have to build up. You build up an ability to endure, to stand. Oh, the wind's blowing. No, stand. Oh, the challenge is coming. No, stand. Oh, friends on him. No, stand. Endurance. And on the other side, patience to navigate that journey. He says you need strength for endurance. You don't need strength just to be strong. You need strength for endurance, to go a long distance. And Quentin speaking. said there were days where after being saved for a number of years, I kind of was, I would failed at so many things. I'd slipped back in my life so many times. I'd failed at so many things that I was almost expecting the day I would stop enduring, but the Spirit of God comes and the life of God comes and I have an ability to endure. And then he says, I need you to have strength for patience. Oh, oh, it's... It's a hard one. Patience with ourselves. Patience with the world around us. But mostly patience in trusting God. Patience in knowing that there is a king seated on his throne. A glorious king who we're going to preach about next week. The supreme being. The supreme glorious king of all things. He is seated on his throne. And my job is to endure and have patience. And to endure and have patience as I begin to walk. Because understand this. He's more patient than you could ever be. He's the God of grace. Paul had encountered the gospel of grace, the glorious King. And he sees uh, babies walking. You've done it. You've seen it on Facebook. Look at him. He's walking. Eight month old kid on Facebook. Boof. Falling on his face. No, he's not walking. He's just falling. And the dad's in the background. Look at him. He's walking. Uh, yeah. Awesome, Gabe. On the hashtag best dad. <laughs> Can't wait to meet Mark Phillips, He's coming soon. and um, it's, But it's the same with the Father in heaven. He says, I, I'm looking for patience and endurance. I'm looking to give you strength so that you can go on that journey. I'm looking for it. Why? Because I'm looking for my sons and daughters who are living lives pleasing me. 2 Peter puts it this way, 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. There is a God journey in every patient story. It's called the gospel. Thirdly, giving joyful thanks to the Father. I want to tell you just a simple thing. You want to see miracles in your life? Learn to give thanks. Not out of duty. I've got an eight-year-old boy, and he will literally, people put broccoli on his plate, and he's a sensory kid. He cannot eat broccoli. I see him doing this. And then he'll, that was so amazing, Auntie Lou. That was incredible. No, he's lying. He's lying, which is not good, but there's a good part of it. He knows thankfulness. Because I want to tell you what thanklessness produces. Thanklessness produces discontent. Israelites walk around. They've been freed from slavery. Their chains are off. They are no longer being beaten. Their kids can no longer be thrown out of windows with no consequences. Because that's what slavery is. They are free. And God is feeding them every day. And God is providing for them every day. And what do they do? Mmm, food's not cool. Mmm, God, you should have left us in Egypt. You should have left us in slavery. You know what happens if we continue with that thanklessness? Anxiety starts to come on. Oh, where are you, God. No, fix your eyes on what God has done. Look how far you have come, and I promise you anxiety will be far from you. And you'll recognize it when his voice begins to shout. But anxiety creeps in where we become a people who forget how grateful we should be for his glory and his goodness. These are just realities. What happens, self-sufficiency creeps in when we forget that God has been good. And in the midst of the chaos, he was there. And in the midst of your worst moments, he was there. And in the midst of the, of all the stories and the brokenness of your life, He was there. And he will always be there. And when we start to get arrogant, we start to think we've got this thing. The gospel has to break in and realize, bring me to realization that I am not self-sufficient. I am just a son looking to his father trying to navigate through a fog. And I need Jesus and I need his spirit to lead me. It's called the gospel. And Paul's sitting in prison just writing to encourage the people saying you need to know the stuff. Jealously giving thanks to the Father. But then the most glorious part of the Scripture that brings my soul, and I want to jump, and I want to shout, and I want to scream. He says this, Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. Can you say this? Jesus has qualified me. Okay, that was terrible. That was like, we're going to ignore that a whole contribution from you guys. I'm busting my gut up here. You're going to get excited. Say, Jesus, Jesus has, qualified me. has qualified me. Yeah, now we're talking. And he's riding from prison with chains around us saying, you've been qualified. Why? Because of Jesus. Forget your circumstances. Forget where it's working, and well where it's not. Forget all of that. There's Jesus. He's qualified you. And He's not just qualified you for anything. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance. An inheritance is not just an eternity thing. It begins in this life and reaches its climax in eternity. There is an inheritance now in Jesus. Joy and peace and life and ability to navigate the story. There is an inheritance. There is freedom and joy. And we're going to look back and say, God, you've been so good. But when we don't navigate with God To live to please Him. The gospel has to come alive because I'm adopted into a big store of the gospel and the blood of Jesus. I get Jesus' reward. You get a wife who's out of your league. Not pointing. Just saying. It's called inheritance. It's called the goodness of God. It's called the gospel. Consistent and and the ancient Israel Israelites would walk around and inheritance was a reward, but their way of getting inheritance, they had to go and fight for it. They had to go and take the land, they had to go take the territory. It was expected of them to do it. You see, in Jesus, it's all changed. We don't have to take anything, he's taken it all. And he says, Yeah, I'm gonna share it with you. I've qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. I think it's glorious. The greatest reward in all of this is just to hear. My father's voice, well done, my good and faithful servant. I can see it in my kids. I'm, and you, unfortunately, as a preacher, get to travel my kids' journey with me. I stand next to a rugby field watching my little man tackle very big Afrikaans boys in the Boerlands. And the first thing he does once he's made that tackle is he looks for me. He doesn't care about his coach. doesn't care about his mates. He just looks for me. Sometimes it gets ridiculously embarrassing. Playing cricket match, one shot. I'm like, just focus on the game. But but actually, that's who we call to be. Just sons and daughters of the living Father whose face shines upon us, who has made a way and has qualified you as he has qualified me to share in the glorious gospel. And he's calling a people to grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding, to not just navigate life well. Oh, look how well I did in life. It's not about that. It's about, look how well I lived my life for the glory of my risen King and for the favor of my Father because His favor shone upon me every day and I live to please Him. And it changes the reasons we do things. It changes the reasons we do things. You see, we stop doing things out of duty. My, my eight-year-old boy flows with generosity sometimes. My 10-year-old boy comes to me this morning, quarter past five, and says, Dad, I must make mom coffee this morning. I'm like, what do you mean I must? No, well, Dad, it's Mother's Day. I must make mom coffee. No, do you want to make mom coffee? Okay, Dad, I want to make mom coffee. There's a big difference. So there's a little teaching moment at quarter past five in the morning for Judah. Because 2019, there's still the same challenges in this world. There's still many gods wanting your attention and there's still a a voice shouting, follow all the rules and God will love you. But from a prison cell, a man writes a letter to reveal the risen king and he says, guys, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is glorious. Jesus is magnificent. Jesus is powerful. Jesus is healer. Jesus is all you will ever need. Trust Jesus. See, Paul knew this. Because of what the gospel had done in his life and the inheritance in you know, shed, he calls him. And I love this quote. I've used it before in a sexuality series. But it's a quote from Abraham Caper. It says this. No single piece of our mental world is to be hermetically sealed or from the rest. And there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry. Mine! It's not a square inch. The world's a big place, we think, and Jesus says, it's small to me. There's not a square inch. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is enough. Jesus is everything. Colossians is a letter from a man in prison to encourage a free people to stay free, to live in inheritance that is available. Who doesn't take up an inheritance? Oh, you've inherited a 100 million rand. Nah, not keen. Ever heard that? That's what Christians do every day. It's what we do when we get self-sufficient and arrogant, when we think we got it. Can you close your eyes for a second, if that's all right? This book of Colossians is not just another step in our year, not just a clever idea. This book of Colossians reveals Jesus. We might not be speaking financial health, but I promise you get Colossians and you'll walk and you'll stumble into financial health. We might not be speaking sexuality, but I promise you get Colossians, get the message of this teacher, get the message of this prisoner, and you will stumble into sexual freedom. You'll just stumble into it. Why? Because when grace acts, little stumbling kids become walking champions. Can you say with me, Jesus is Lord? Jesus is King. Jesus is, King. Jesus, is Jesus is everything. Can you say with me, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my King. Jesus is my everything. The next section of Scripture is incredible. We're going to jump into it next week, but, but we can make decisions now. He's writing to the church. He's not writing to the unbelievers in Colossae, you need Jesus. He's writing to the church. He's saying, you need Jesus to be your king, to be your Lord, to be your everything. If there are areas in your life That you say, actually, maybe Jesus is not king of that area. Maybe Jesus is not lord of that area. Maybe I'm self-sufficient and Jesus is not everything in that area. I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to be standing with you. And we're just going to say those simple lines again and ask the Spirit of God to reveal Jesus to us. Is that all right? Will you stand with me if that's you? Because it is me sometimes, too often. Can we just say that again? I pray, Spirit of God, you are here. Reveal Jesus to us. In these declarations that we so easily declare over others, I pray those would be declarations of power over ourselves tonight, over this place, over every person in this house tonight. Will you say this with me? Jesus is my King. Jesus Jesus is my Lord. Jesus Jesus is my everything. Jesus, Jesus, be my King. Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, be my my everything. my everything. I pray, Spirit of God, be upon us at this time. I pray as men and women would come under your word and read your book, your Bible. So I pray, Spirit of God, would you reveal Jesus to us. The perfect one. Our everything at this time. We praise you, Jesus.